carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the son of Abinadab, were, were driving the new cart and the ark of God, with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. It's also for me, the passage for me that troubles me the most, and if I'm honest, makes me the angriest the most. But I believe it's the linchpin. I think we've been looking at and the whole series has been for us, a, a people of God after the heart of God. And we've been walking through uh, with David all these places that God has been with David and all these places that David has had great success. And I think oftentimes when we think of King David, we think of him as a shepherd or what comes to mind is David and Goliath or uh, his many wives or all these things that come to us when we think and the think of the story of David. But I believe this passage is what God later says to us about David in Acts, a man after God's own heart. I believe it's from this passage. And I, I believe for us, and I've been praying intently for us as I do most weeks, but for some reason the burden on my heart for this passage more than any other passage I've probably taught in the last six months. I believe that this passage, if we really understand the depths of this passage, it, it could really tr transform us as a church. It's what transformed David and his journey uh, with the Lord. And so here we are, Second Samuel chapter 6. Remember chapter 4 and 5, David finally becomes the king of Israel. Both the northern and the southern kingdoms are finally reunited into one kingdom under the kingdom of God initially through David. And that's the promise that God said He would fulfill through King David. I'm going to make you a king over my people. That's all of Israel. And there's just one thing that happens between his kingship and this story. He defeats the Philistines. And I believe he defeats the Philistines so it anchors and gives us a pathway into this text this morning. What do we see King David do next? Just in the first two verses that Jared just read to us. And David again gathered all the chosen men. Remember those that motley crew in that cave. He chose those men. At this time it's grown to 30,000 men. Highlight that in your Bible. We're going to get to that. That's an important number right there. And David arose and he went with all the people who were with him to Bel Judah to bring up the ark of God. You may think to yourselves that I did. What's, what's the big deal about the ark of God? Why would David want to, first thing he did in his kingdom, to go and get the ark of God and bring it back to the kingdom of God? I think it's important to know what the ark of God is. Turn with me to Exodus. Chapter 25. You know, Exodus is the story of God's chosen people. They come out of the, the slavery into the prom They're walking to the promised land. And Exodus is all about God getting God's people ready for the promised land. And then he, in the latter half of Exodus, he gives them all these stipulations. And one of the stipulations he says to them is, hey, I want you to build me the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, if you will. 
And he says exactly how I want you to make it. Take some wood, two cubics and a half in its length and a cubit in height and breadth and width. And so what he's saying is I want a four and a half by two and a half by two and a half box overlaid with gold with I want this on top of it. I want two angels, two cherubim facing each other, their wings spread out on the backside of the the box. But I want you to put the mercy seat, he says. That's the key. I want you to put the mercy seat in between these two angels or the two cherubim. And then it says this in verse 22. After you do all this, and this box is complete, and the mercy seat is facing the cherubim on the top of the box, you should put my commandments inside of the box. In verse 22 it says this, there I will meet with you. And so, God is saying to God's people, it's at the Ark of the Covenant is where I'll meet you. It's where the presence of the Lord dwells. And in the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord was, was in the Holy of Holies, but it was on top of the mercy seat of God. It was so important that the priest could only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year to offer sacrifice for all of God's people to bring redemption. And so David says, I've got to go and I've got to go get the presence of the king. I've got to go get the presence of the king. Before my kingship ever starts, I need to go get God's presence and bring him back to where he belongs. Well, you've got to ask yourself, then where's this ark been? Remember, we said that Saul did not have great success. He didn't have great success because I believe, and the text shows us, that the presence of God throughout the entirety of Saul's kingdom was not present. Where was it? Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Saul does not become king until chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. So here we are in chapter 4. It says this in verse 1. Now Israel went up out of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines, verse 2, drew up against the line of Israel. And then the battle spread and Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men in battle. And when the people came back to the elders, they said, hey, we, why has the Lord defeated us before the Philistines today? And look what they do. Look what they do next. They say to the elders, to the priests, hey, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring the Ark into battle with us. That's called superstition. No, God had earlier in Exodus chapter 25 told him where he wanted himself to be. In the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. And then the people of God think, hey, we need the presence of God, so we're going to disobey God where God told us to leave Him and we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant and take Him into battle so if we have the Ark of the Covenant, we'll win. 
Now, if you're anything like me, this is a great time of uh, sports season. Uh, the, the, the baseball uh, playoffs are going on, college football is going on, uh, and there's this really uh, a silly commercial right now with Justin Verlander, if you've seen it. He's talking about his pregame ritual, his superstition. We all have them. And yet I wonder how many of us, we wouldn't say this out loud, but we have superstitions with God. And if I just do this and this, then God will do this and this. Well, that's what, that's what Israel was doing in this chapter. Hey, we just lost 4,000 people in a battle. And so maybe if we go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into battle, he'll give us a great reward and a great success. But that's not what happens at all. Go back down to verse 10. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle against the Philistines. And it says this in verse 10. Remember, I told you, I'll underline that number in 2 Samuel. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to their homes. And there was a very great slaughter about how many? 30,000 men. And all of a sudden, you see chapters later, David, through the hand of God, says, hey, you know that defeat 30,000 people? We're going to go take the 30,000, and we're going to get my presence back to where it belongs. See, I'm going to triumph over all of it. God is sovereign over every single thing in the universe. So he says, there's 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, they died. And then what does it say? The Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant was what captured and the two sons of Eli were died. The, the priests were killed. And then it says this. There's a man from Benjamin. He ran home and he went to uh, to Eli and to the, the mother, to the, to the son uh, wife, the daughter-in-law, and says, hey, your father-in-law and your brother, brother-in-law and your husband, they're all dead. And the Ark of the Covenant, the Covenant of God, has been stolen from the people of God. And she slouches down. And it says in verse 19, And now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant about to give birth. And when she heard the news of the ark of God was captured, the father-in-law of her husband was dead. She bowed and gave birth, and her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, she died when she gave birth. But at this time, right before that, she says this. But she did not give an answer or pay attention. And she named the new child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel because why? The ark of God had been captured. Verse 22. And she said this. The glory has departed from Israel and the ark of God has been captured. I asked this question this morning. Has the glory of God departed from house chapel? 
Ichabod. Because we think to ourselves, we have these superstitions, and I'll say it this way, we have these traditions that have been set in place that when you look at the people as God's called us to worship Him, our tradition has trumped the glory of God. You see, that's what happens with the people of God in First and Second Samuel. Their tradition or their superstition got in the way of the presence of God and God had departed. He had been captured from the Philistines. And the glory of God had departed Israel. And now we see the chunk of time that the glory of God, the presence of God, is departed of Israel. Israel falls to pieces until this moment in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Because there was one man named King David who knew, I've got to get back to the glory of God rather than the glory of man. Saul had made it all about his glory. Remember, that's what made Saul so angry at David. That after the great defeat of the great giant Goliath, it says that the people began to worship and sing songs more to David than to Saul, and it infuriated Saul because Saul wanted the glory for himself. And yet we see here in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel that David had the recognition of himself. If I'm going to start this kingdom, I know where i got to start it. i got to start it in the presence of God. And then what happens next makes me so angry, if I'm honest. So David and his mighty men, they walk up, they go and they capture the Ark of the Covenant. If you want to read in 1 Samuel 4 and 5, it talks about what happens to the Philistines when they take the Ark of God into their presence. They take the Ark of God and they put it before their God, Dagon, and it says the next morning that Dagon, their their uh, their God, had fallen right face first into the presence of the Ark of God, an act of worship. And so the people of the Philistines, they sat their God back up and said, man, something must have happened overnight. This can't be right. The next day they come back in and everything of that God has been shattered. Head off, arms off, legs off. Just the torso is in the presence of God. And the, the Philistines said, man, this is crazy. we got to get this thing out of our midst. And so they have this conversation. They leave it for an extra day. The next day, uh, the people break out in tumors all over their bodies. The Philistines begin to really freak out. I don't know about you, but you bring this little golden box in, you set it in front of our God, and now it's falling apart, our God's broken up, and our people have got tumors all over the place. I'd want to get that thing out of there too. And so they take the ark of God and they move it out of their presence. And they bring it to this one man's house. And the ark of the covenant of God stays in this man's house for 20 years. So the time that Art got into the man's house to this point in David's life had been 20 years, the absence of God. And I wonder, church, has God been absent with us for five years, 10 years, 20 years? Ichabod. 
So he and the 30 men and back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. They go and they get the ark of God back. But look what they do. Verse 3. Because they go and they bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord God of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim or sits on the mercy seat. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And then the two priests are in front of the ark. But catch verse 3. Verse 3 is the linchpin. Verse 3, it says that David and the people of God, they desperately wanted God back in their presence. I think that's so true for us, if we're honest. Do we not want the presence of God? But look how they usher in the presence of God. They ushered the presence of God in the way that they wanted to usher in the presence of God. You see, back in Exodus and in Numbers, it tells us this. In Exodus 25 and in Numbers 4, it says this. Hey, when you carry the ark of the covenant of God, he gives very strict details of how to carry in the presence of God places. And it says to them, I'm gonna, I want you to have four rings on the four corners of this ark, and I want you to put these poles in, and I want you to bear the brunt of the weight of the glory of God on your shoulders as you usher my glory into your presence. You see, the priests were the ones to carry on the shoulders of their four shoulders the presence of the glory of God. And how do they bring in, and how do they usher in the glory of God? They put it on a cart. Well, if you go back to... First Samuel chapter 4 and 5. How did the Philistines carry in the presence of God into their midst on a cart? And I just wonder, church, that we say we want the presence of God. We want the glory of God. We demand the glory of God. We want the presence of God. But we will usher God in on our terms, not on His terms. And what happens when we Usher God in on our terms and not on His terms. He shows us clearly what happens. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs. They were having a worship service. What we just had a few moments ago, the presence of God is coming back into the midst of God's people and the people of God are celebrating and celebrating and celebrating. And then what happens? And when they came to the threshold, the priest put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold on it, of it because the oxen were stumbling. Here the people of God are ushering in the presence of God on this cart, it hits the threshold and it begins to fall. It begins to fall off the cart. And the priest says, man, I got to hold this thing up. This thing can't hit the ground. And it says in the moment he places his hand on the ark that he dies. Like, what? 
Like if you're reading that, I'm reading, I'm like, what? He's doing God a favor. Like I get outraged when I read that. All he did was put his hand on the presence of God. He didn't want the presence of God to fall in the mud. He didn't want God to get messy. And yet the moment he touched the presence of God, he was killed. You talk about ending a worship service pretty fast. Like what? Like here they all are. They're all looking at the presence of God. They're celebrating the presence of God. They see the priest put it out. They got to be like, oh man, thank goodness he stopped the ark from going through the dirt. And then he touches it and falls dead. Crickets? You see, here was the great sin of the priest. And I read this. I stole this. But it's so true. And it's so true in our lives. You see, the problem was not that the man held out his hand to the presence of God to stop it. But somehow in the priest's mind, he thought his hand was cleaner than the dirt that it was about to fall into. Let me say that again. The sin was he thought he was more righteous than he was. You see, that dirt that I was about to fall into had never, ever sinned against the Holy God. That dirt was doing what dirt was made for by God. So the dirt was more clean than the priest's right or left hand, whatever it was, whatever hand he was holding out. And I wonder, church, do we come in here week in and week out and we think we're more holier than we are, but we've only ushered in God's presence on our terms. You see, because we usher God in our terms, the promise of God is Ichabod. The glory of the Lord will depart from this place and we can have a celebration, but the glory of God has departed us. And God forbid, God forbid that anything like this priest happens to any one of us. But I know the truth of God is this, it will happen to us. The glory of God will always, always, always consume sin. Sin cannot consume the glory of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we do not get our own hearts right, God's glory will consume our sin. Where Our sin will not consume the glory of God. Now God's Glory may depart from this place, but it will not be consumed by sin. And so David has this moment in verse 7, and it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled, and God struck him down because of his error, and he died beside the ark. And David was angry because the Lord broken out against Uzzah the priest. And in that moment, it was a brief moment of anger. It says that David, in verse 9, was afraid of the Lord that day. 
you might be angry with God. But when you come in contact with the Holy of Holies, when you come in contact with the glory of God, the presence of God, your anger will only last for a few few moments, and then your fear will take over because you've seen the glory of God. That's what happened to David. And then look what David's response says. Who am I? Sound familiar? Remember, Isaiah says that when he comes into the presence of God in Isaiah 6. Who am I? I've seen the glory of God. And David said, he was afraid that day. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Who am I that the ark would be in my presence? And so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city. But David took it aside to Obed-Edom and put it in his house. And the ark remained there in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed his house. You see, Obed-Edom had a righteous heart. And he put the presence of God in a place that it belonged. And the glory of God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. And three months later, it finally travels to David. And David finally comes and wakes up and says, man, that's what I was wanting. That's what I was hoping for. I wanted the blessing of God on my kingdom. I wanted the glory of God on my kingdom. And what does it say? And it was told to David, verse 12, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. And David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom in the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, look at verse 13. Look at that one word. Bore. They got it right. They went back to Exodus. They went back to Numbers and said, how do we usher in the glory of God into our presence? Oh, we've got to put it on our shoulders and bring it in. And so it says, they got it right. They bore the weight of the glory of God on their shoulders and they begin to walk. And it says, they could only walk six steps. And then they go and break out into a celebration. Every six steps so they get back to where the glory of God is to reside in the temple. They stop and they have this amazing worship service. Six steps. Let me show. Let me demonstrate. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's going to take a long time to stop and celebrate. Stop and celebrate. Stop and celebrate. And yet I wonder, church, are we trying to rush the presence of God back into this place? Or are we willing to stop every six steps to worship a holy God to bring Him back into our presence? See, God is going to be worshipped on His time frame, not on our time frame. God's going to be worshipped and demanded to be worshipped on His rules, not on our rules. So they have this celebration and then those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone steps. He, cru he sacrificed an ox and fattened animals. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Think about that for a moment. Here's the king 
dancing in front of all the people with all of his might. It says this, and David was wearing only a linen ephod. He stripped down to his skivvies. Like, think about this. This is the king of Israel, the most powerful man in the world. And he strips down to only a linen ephod, and he's dancing before the Lord. He does not care what anyone around him thinks about him. He only cares about the glory of God. You see, tradition would say, oh, David, you don't take off your clothes. And I wonder, church, for us, is tradition holding us back from the glory of God? Now look what happens. So David and all the houses of Israel were dancing and celebrating. They brought up the ark of God with shouting and with sounds and horns and dancing. It was a festive moment. Catch verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, his wife, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw Circle that in your Bibles. Here is the queen of the most powerful nation to ever be. She's not only the queen, but she's also been a princess in Saul's kingdom. And she is looking out the window. She hears this commotion of these 30,000 people coming back into the city. And she looked out and she saw. But what did she see? She did not see the glory or the presence of God. She saw the king leaping and dancing. Here's this moment for this woman to finally see the glory and the presence of God. She'd never seen it before. So she's looking out her bedroom window. And what does she see first? The king dancing not the presence and the glory of God. And I ask you this question. When you walk through that building and through that door, what is the first thing that you see in this place? Do you see things that aren't in the place you want them to be and what is not on the stage that you hope would be on the stage? Do you notice flags? Do you notice a piano? Do you notice... People, or do you witness and notice the presence of the kingdom of God in this place? You see, I wonder if more of us are like Michael than we are like David. What do we see with the eyes of our heart when we walk into this building? Do we see the presence of God? Or do we miss it completely? Is he not even here? Ichabod. And then David. Man, I love David. They brought up, verse 17, the ark of the Lord and set it in its place where God had told him to place it inside the tent that David had pitched for the Lord. And there David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. 
He's continuing his act of worship. Even though he sees his wife with the stain on her heart, he continues to usher in the presence of God. He does not care what anyone thinks about him. The people of God continue to celebrate. Verse 20. And David returned to bless his house. Look at the heart of David. He's coming back to his own house to bless his own household with the presence of God. And what's he met with? Opposition. You see, not everyone wants the presence and the glory of God. When we usher in the presence of God, it will disturb people. It will make people angry with us. walks back in the house. And then the backbiting starts. The condemnation starts from his own wife. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovered himself today before the eyes of the servant females. How shameful of you to uncover yourself. And David said to Michael, look what he said to him. He didn't give it a defense for his actions. He didn't justify what he's doing. He doesn't try to convince her what he's doing. He simply says boldly to her, it's before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me to be the prince over all of Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. He says, it's not about me, but it's about the glory and the presence of God. And I will do this. He says it in a few moments. I'll do this even more ashamed if I have to. Because I care about the glory of God, not the glory of man. And look what happens to Michael, his wife, because he shames David for dancing before the glory of the Lord. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You shame the presence of the king, and I don't mean the lowercase k, I mean the capital K, there will always be consequences. Always. The consequence was her to never have children. And I believe it's because he, God himself, said and made a promise to David, it will be your household that goes on to establish the kingdom. You see, that moment, the household of Saul was cut off from the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. Do you see that in the text? That's an amazing, an amazing one little verse. But God accomplished His will for His own kingdom through her disobedience and said, okay, the house of Saul will always be cut off from the kingdom of God. It will always be on David's head that the kingdom of God will be ushered into this place. And then we see that for the rest of the Old Testament that Jesus Christ Himself shows up in and on the scene. Who's it say? The house of David. 
the house of Saul had been cut off because of her disobedience to the glory in the presence of the king. And I ask you this, past chapter. Has our tradition and has our preferences and has our superstition kept us from seeing the glory of God? I pray every day when I leave my house in the morning and I drive back into this place, I pray for this church every day that it would not be true of us, it's of us. And I pray that every one of you, when you come into this building, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Saturday, whenever this building is open, that you would not see with your eyes what you disdain, but you see with your heart the presence and the glory of God. Is that true for you? And if it's not, we must repent and not usher God into God's house on our terms. God, I pray 